I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Am Kosky. I'm Dustin Kosky. And we love to watch. We love to watch Carnival Cover-Ups. It's, it's the Pete Hall. First number one to run the ball. 90 some yards in the first quarter. What's messing with these country boys? Me and my partner dog. Timberlane ought to be the wizard of Oz. Greatest beat maker since the Greek god. Best thing to happen since they made cars. Brightest thing shining since the North Star. Best communication since sailor. I tell you, boy, we terrible. Every time we get together, it's a hot Man, we ain't looking for them. We just bumping to them. Load the coochie up, then we out the door. Man, what? Studio. In the mic room, baby, on the floor. You nasty. Hey, Peter. Hey. <laughs> hey. Hi, all. Uh, Aaron, you decided to give me uh, a tagline I could actually say this week, which was nice of you. I didn't give it to you. That's why. Dustin Kosky did. <laughs> the past, like, three <laughs> weeks, the, they've been, like, this, like, long wordplay that I've been trying to, like, write down, and then it just comes out as, a jar- like, a jumble. Were you annoyed that I left in you screwing up on the last edit I did? Nah, because it was kind of funny. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so, uh, we'll t- that's, that's been a new segment, Aaron and Peter's, uh, impromptu therapy sessions. Uh, <laughs> so we have, we have, uh, a couple guests on we've had before. And look, if anyone knows our guest, our, our first guest here today, you know that he is just this, this like wonderful person who's just filled with, uh, joy and happiness. And he gets excited, like the little things in life. So... We're pretty excited to be able to tell him on air in case he's forgotten. Dustin, this is your fifth appearance on We Love to Watch. The the best part is that it's the zeroth appearance of Don Hertzfeld. Uh, the weird thing is that Dustin has been pretty positive on every movie he's actually been on the show for. I, I read a little bit of implication from something he posted. I think that might change today. <laughs> and then Adam ties uh, a couple other people for his fourth appearance. Yep, it... It's a pleasure. Can someone get some goddamn excitement in these two? Do you guys want to start doing drugs or, I have, or something? I'm very excited by my hatred for Don Hertzfeld. What does that count? Did he do something recently you're upset about, <laughs> Dustin? Like, No, my hatred uh, start. Well, it, it's been a long-running co- constant thing. It started when I saw Rejected, went through... It's such a beautiful day. Then I saw World of Tomorrow, and I think it's become like a salient part of my personality now. Anyway, <laughs> that reminds me. Five second recap. No, it you more- tried this, <laughs> Dustin. You tried this last time. It was more confusing than everything. Once again, you haven't even said what fucking movie we're doing. So if you're gonna try to circumvent the nature of the show, at least say, "Hey, welcome to our podcast. It's called We Love to Watch. It's our second episode of Kill Billies, Volume Two. The movie we're doing today is Tobey Hooper's 1981." Well, I'll say masterpiece. I don't know if I'm going to stick with that, but really good movie, uh, The Fun House. Now, Dustin, go ahead and just subterfuge the whole fucking show. I've been the puppet master who forced you into doing the five-second recap without even knowing it. We don't even do five-second recap anymore. (laughs) For Dustin, who behind the scenes has been talking shit about our intro segments, (laughs) consistently comes on and says he has a game, and he wants to... And then at the same time says that he wants to skip the intro segment. And I don't know what to do with this fucking guy sometimes. 
Oh, this fucking guy. Oh. I grew- <laughs> I'm back in my New York accent a little bit. This fucking guy. <laughs> this fucking guy. <laughs> that was more of a Matthew Lillard accent. <laughs> I'm a little bit of walking, too. A little bit of walking. Break his uh, fucking leg, Scoob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you sons of bitches want to do? Four teens go to a carnival and witness murder, which they then have to escape. That's I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they don't, most of them don't. 75% don't make it out. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dustin, I understand that you brought us a fucking game that you want us to fucking play. Well, okay, it's rated E for everybody. That's a fucking game. <laughs> oh, hold on, let me wake up my wife and kid. <laughs> <laughs> we called it, is it good enough for a... Toby Hooper movie. Uh-oh. I don't think they like Toby Hooper just by the, the name of this game. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> right. Was this a co-creation of Dustin and Adam? Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, I uh, I did kind of more the, the questions. Dustin kind of came up with the... The concept? Premise. Yeah. Okay. The idea is, we'll describe to you the premise of a movie, or the pitch, I guess, more, and you'll have to determine whether it's an actual movie made by Toby Hooper... Bonus point if you can figure out what the name of it is. He only made 11 movies, Dustin. (laughs) 10 bonus points if you can figure out what the name we came up with for the fake movie is. (laughs) Okay. As always, I'm operating the questions. Right. As always, Google Docs is ruining everything. (laughs) You guys need a pen and a paper, I think. (laughs) They're not expensive. Back to to school time. You guys can get some sales. (laughs) Adam, select your contestant. Uh, We'll go with Aaron. Nailed it. (laughs) That leaves me for Peter. Would would you like to go first, Adam? Uh, Leaves you. Leaves you. All right, Adam, you're my contestant. <laughs> Aaron, would you be my contestant yeah, and I also think, boyfriend? So hold on. So if I'm Adam's contestant <laughs> and Dustin and, and Adam is Dustin's contestant, I'm Peter, you you either got to get to the front or the back of this human centipede. <laughs> you always want to be at the front. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Adam. Yeah. So for Aaron, it basically the first parts, yep, I think... You explained okay. You did okay. I'll give him like a C plus. Sasquatch seeks revenge on the militia that killed his child. R- real or fake, basically. Oh, oh, real or fake? Yeah, and then you like get, like you it's try. a real or fake Toby Hooper movie. Yep, yep. Okay, so I think that's. I mean, I think it's a real movie. I think it's a fake Toby Hooper movie. Correct. Would you like to guess the name for this? The I think the real movie is called Night of the Demon. Might be. We also thought of a fake title for if it was a Toby Hooper movie. I'll give you. I'll give you an extra point for knowing the, the actual, actual movie with that. Premise. That's from 1983. It's in my Amazon that, Prime watch list. Given that we did not know that that was a real movie. I mean, I know it has a Sasquatch. I don't know if I don't know if the rest is there. Yeah, uh, uh, Appalachian Sasquatch Massacre. The real fake name that we came up with for it is. Big six feet under. No, six big feet under. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I was like, I don't get the joke. And then I was like, and I was like, well, here's the actual joke. (laughs) Okay. Do over, do over. The actual, the actual fake title that we came up with was six big feet under. 
Oh, you scamps. <laughs> I didn't realize we were going to be having such a jubilant time with these two, these two goof them around. Peter, wait, can you do your fake laugh again? <laughs> Are you Santa Merry when you Christmas. fake laugh? <laughs> yeah, Santa is always a sarcastic laugher. You didn't know that? <laughs> oh, no. I know. Oh, I knew that. Oh, your sadness brings me such joy. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> You're not getting a sled. <laughs> <laughs> Never. All right. Okay. Peter, your first movie? The premise is a crew on a spaceship must stop another spaceship from reaching Earth and s- spreading a pandemic upon it. It's a real Toby Hooper movie, and it's uh, Life Force. That's incorrect, because... They're spreading an <laughs> epidemic? <laughs> yeah, because... The epidemic happens in Life Force. So it's not the pre- the pre- I, I guess we made this needlessly confusing by trying to trick you. <laughs> you did successfully trick me. Can you tell me why I was tricked, though? <laughs> because in Life Force, the epidemic reaches Earth early in the movie, so that isn't really the premise. The premise is about the spread, the landing and the spreading of the zombie pandemic as opposed to stopping it so so here let me get this straight so it's not what, what you're arguing about <laughs> why why is the second question a weird semantic mindfuck <laughs> why did you pick something that's so arguable too like why <laughs> oh okay just give me give me the zero points and let's move this on uh the name of the movie is death force <laughs> anyway, Adam, the actual fake title is Untitled Toby Hooper Space Movie. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> okay. I like the fake titles as much as the actual game. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> will I fight will I fight legal precedent for this one next one? <laughs> Does not count. Random self-immolation from parents being near a nuclear weapons test. A person suffers from random self-immolation from their parents being in a nuclear weapons test. That's the premise or yeah. a plot point? <laughs> no, that's the entire premise. It lasts the whole movie. Um I mean, not that I can think of, so I'm going to say not a Toby Hooper movie. It actually can I steal? Close your guess. Uh, Wait, I'm going to steal back. Yes, it is, based on everyone's <laughs> silent reaction. Because <laughs> I know the name. Of, can I steal with the name of the movie? Uh, yep. Uh, spontaneous Combustion. Yes. Okay. You don't Here's have to give point. me any points for that. I just wanted to steal it. I'm going to call them uh, fake title guests, uh, random blow-up people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 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 the people that are on fire all the time on the inside and the outside. <laughs> that's just a, that's just a title from like the makers of Taboo. Like you can't say any of the following words. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Describe a sandwich without saying bread. <laughs> Meat hold them together's. <laughs> Aaron, you can't say any of those words either. <laughs> Can't say hold for sandwich. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, classic deli wrap or classic deli club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there you'd you probably win, Dustin. So I get. A yeah, point. that probably would win okay. in this version <laughs> of this game that we made up. It's a mess. Can we move on to the next question, please? No, we gotta find out what their fake title was. Oh yes, please. No, I mean, no, that's the best part we, of the game. 
We don't have it. Was there the? Since it is a real movie, we didn't come up with a funny fake title. I'm afraid. But uh, Life so, Force was a real movie. What? Yeah. The like this. Was. This whole thing needs like another hour in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I love that. My favorite part of the game got taken from me just now. <laughs> I know. I feel like this is a weird, just a mind game they're playing. Like, weird, like, social experiments and psychological experiments that are, like, meant to break us down that we're yeah. not really picking up. Hey, uh, hey, uh, Dustin, Adam, I have a question for you. You're walking in the desert. You see a tortoise. Uh, the tortoise is on its back, but you're not helping. Why aren't you helping? What's a tortoise? <laughs> it's like a turtle. Uh, why aren't you helping? What? What's a turtle? <laughs> you, you're not gonna win with this, <laughs> Peter. Just back away slowly. <laughs> I'm facing east, so I just back away slowly into the ocean. Before you back into the ocean, your next question is: Clan members and a bunch of neo Nazis fight over millions in bearer bonds in Mexico. Sort of a made-for-TV crime th- movie. Would you like me to repeat it? Uh, yeah, I'd love that. Thanks. Clan members and a group of neo-Nazis fight over millions in bearer bonds in Mexico. It's a made-for-TV crime movie. I'm going to say this not Toby Hooper. It sounds like that's Crime cr- Wave by Sam Wavy. <laughs> Sam Raimi. That's correct, but that's not uh, what happens in Crime Wave. Would you like to guess our fake title? What's the real title? Yeah, what's the real title? <laughs> <laughs> there's three steps to this game <laughs> was it really crime wave no by it's... sam wavy <laughs> by sam wavy you said crime <laughs> yes <laughs> crime Ramy by sam wavy <laughs> the, the, the big title is red white and green Okay. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen that one. Is that directed by someone uh, of, of well, note? He just said that's the fake title. What's the <laughs> real title? <laughs> There's no. It's just fake. Oh, it's, <laughs> just, it's just not a real movie. Okay, so yeah. who's the fake director that directed this? <laughs> um, Alan Smithy. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, that could, that could have been Sam. Wait, so, uh, Adam, Adam, and Dustin, let's take things back a step. Do you think that maybe me not understanding the rules of this game? <laughs> Aaron not understanding the rules of this game had any effect on the Hold outcome. on. I think we understood. <laughs> no, you, guys, you guys had it. We just... Yeah, you guys ha- understood what was going on. We just had a question that was too close to a real movie because we were trying to trick you, and so we screwed that up. And to be fair, I think we understood it better than you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think Peter and I won. I think, I think you guys lost at your own game. <laughs> You want to talk about a real movie, The Fun House? Yeah, you guys want to talk about Fun sure, House? Let's let's, let's cut all that shit and just move on. Never mind. <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm gonna leave a lot of that in. Welcome back. It has been an uh, it's been an uninteresting break. Uh, during that music cue that you heard, we just went from that moment to this moment. 
on a lot of weirdness. It's great. Uh, so now we're back to talk about uh, the motion picture, The Fun House. Uh, Dustin already did five-second recap, which is a, a segment we don't do on this podcast anymore. But I will let Adam do alternate taglines. It's a little lazy, but I was just going to go, there's no escaping from The Fun House. <laughs> it's pretty good. I like Nixon that. As a Barry Nixon, though, yeah, the yeah. The best. I mean, the best taglines work uh, based on tone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but this one's a reference. I, I've got a. I've got an alternate tagline as well, and it's sometimes the real freaks are the freaks of nature. <laughs> That's one of the messages of this movie. Is that freaks yeah. are weird, right? I think a good tagline to stop confusion would be no one dresses up as a clown despite the posters you've seen. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a weird thing. So let's get this out of the way. So so when I haven't seen the, the movies that we pick for the show uh, and also vice versa, uh, sometimes we pick movies for the show that I haven't seen on purpose. The poster or the synopsis is like all I'm going on when I'm like writing stuff for the site or I'm telling people like, oh, we're going to be talking about these movies and why they fit. Like all I have is like the synopsis and the marketing. This movie has a clown on the front. There is no actual like clown in this movie except for like maybe like some people walking around. At the- Are there people even walking around in Just, the carnival? No. At most, I think you get robot clowns. You get robot clowns, but not even killer robot clowns. You just, just get, robots. like, little, like, orphan Annie dolls. Like, and not even creepy ones, like poltergeist clowns, where you're like, well, if I wasn't scared of clowns before, now I am. Though, ironically, we didn't know this. I thought it was a killer clown movie, too. Uh, this actually fits our uh, month's theme way better than uh, redneck killer clowns, uh, because I feel like Carney's... Traveling from town to town, uh, harassing locals on their turf is really thematically appropriate to the month we were trying to build. Carnies are a special kind of redneck. They're nature's redneck. They're nature's redneck. I feel like if you join a carnival, like, it doesn't matter, like, what your upbringing was. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what kind of schooling you've had. After six months, you're going to be pulling chaw out of your jorts and... Spitting into a spittoon and uh, murdering locals. There's just a thing about carnivals. They just bring out the carny in you, you know? It'd be fun to see that transformation process. Just We start with a character who's like this elitist Ivy League type and just does it a little bit to make some money. And then for like two weeks, we see him transformed. Into- so, so it's like wake, wake and fright for carnies. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like John Watts's clown for carnies puts on puts on the carny suspenders, and then like a couple months later, he's like, "Next, please." Or like the Santa Claus with Tim Allen for carnies. <laughs> <laughs> John Watts's clown is sort of like what does for clowns what Santa Claus did for Santa Claus. Do you, yeah, do you guys think that John Watts uh, ripped off the premise of The Santa Claus, the 1994 Disney movie starring Tim Allen? Thoughts? Uh, Peter. I'm, I'm going to turn this into the did. McLaughlin group. <laughs> Peter! What'd you have Thoughts for on John Watts plagiarism regarding the Santa Claus vehicle starring Tim Allen? Go! Definitely guilty. Justin! Definitely guilty. I think Eli Roth screwed it up enough that you couldn't tell it was a Santa Claus ripoff. <laughs> Adam! I'm lost. Pat Buchanan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Adam, can we d- dig down a little bit? 
What do you mean lost? Do you mean your, your sense of place in the world? Do you mean? Do you think you're an ABC television show from the mid 2000s? <laughs> do you mean in as a Wisconsin ways. native after your state so ruthlessly betrayed you in the last election? How do you? Do you think you you're a Frank lost? Ocean song from the album Channel Orange? <laughs> <laughs> do you mean lost in the woods like the Kanye West song? All the above. <laughs> Ninety second recap. Yeah, let's do it. Let's freaking so, do it. So here's the thing. Uh, so it starts out. Thanks, Alec Baldwin. Here's what? Alec Baldwin has a podcast called So Here's the Thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All, all podcasts should come with uh, citations, references, <laughs> bibliography so people get all the jokes. Every uh, joke should. Uh, so, yeah, so it starts out and there's a, a lady taking a shower. The brother that that must be some sort of parallel universe twin um, from the brother from Teen Witch. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, a lot of weird brothers. No in one's these gonna movies. come to your sit sweet sixteen party, yeah. Louise. Hi, I'm just <laughs> gonna thought... pretend to stab you in the shower. He's like twelve. It's a little, it's a little creepy. Uh, so anyway, so she's like, hey. I'm going to go out with my new boyfriend. And the parents are like, oh, fine. We're not going to that carnival because some kids are dead. Last time they went into town and no one's doing anything about it. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but don't go. <laughs> um, someone should do like if if the statement is uh, the last time the last town they were at, a few kids were found murdered. That carnival doesn't get to keep going from town to town. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way. You don't just say that as like, a, I would prefer you not to go to this thing because the last time, the last kids that went to it were, were murdered. Uh, so, but she does uh, her and uh, her and her new boyfriend and then another couple uh, and they, they go off to this carnival. They're followed by the little brother who's like, fuck you. I want to go to this carnival. Uh, someone like unrelated to the main plot puts a gun in his face on the way it's not important um just you know it's a weird town uh so so anyway so they they're at the carnival they see all your favorite attractions of the carnival the animal freak show um which is a good foreshadowing for the uh the we'll just say what the movie is basically saying uh, a freak of nature that doesn't deserve to live probably i don't know and then you know other great things like the magician the strippers you know how they have those at carnivals that travel from town to town all the time all the time so they spend like a half hour at the carnival having a good time yucking it up they haven't gone into the fun house yet but they do because they want to they want to get in there and they just want to really give it to each other uh after the lights go off so they hide at the upstairs of the fun house uh and while they're they're kind of the two couples are getting hot and heavy as the kids like to say uh they notice that below them is uh, the person who is letting people into the funhouse with a Frankenstein mask on who has um, paid the, the fortune teller to have uh, carnal relations with him. But unfortunately, he's like Jason Biggs in American Pie, comes a little too quickly, and then he, uh, because he feels so silk emasculated, uh, his only option is murder. Just like in American Pie. Just like in American Pie. Poor Shan Elizabeth's character. <laughs> poor, poor Nadia. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so he murders her and then, uh, the dad, her, uh, his dad comes home, uh, and is like, what? I told you just murder the kids. Don't murder people that work with you. Don't shit where you eat. Don't play ball in the house. So then the kids are too loud. And then the dad's like, okay, just do me this one favor. 
can you just go, can you just kill all these kids and then we'll be good. Uh, and then he tries and he gets like 75% of the way there, but then he ends up dead. And then, um, our protagonist, our protagonist walks out in the daylight of the carnival and is like, well, that changed me. <laughs> roll, roll credits. <laughs> That's a really good 90 second recap, Aaron. And was, I think that you touched on something long. early on. And it's something I feel the need to speak up for as a little brother. And, um... Why are there so many 80s comedies and 80s movies generally that have hardcore beliefs that little brothers want to just ruin their older sister's lives, A, and B, want to see them naked also? Like, whoa, whoa, what was that about? He played, like, no part in the movie. Why is he in this movie? He, There's no reason for him to be in this movie. He gets rescued, uh, cause, and then, um... And then, like, they call his parents, and then he just goes home. And then he's out of the movie. Even Un- more little brother bias uh, shown yeah. by this movie. Frankly, I'm offended. 100% of little brothers survive this movie. Yeah, I think you're, like, expecting him to somehow hear something that gets, that saves the bacon of the children, uh, of the teens after they're locked in the funhouse. And when he does it, you're supposed to feel an extra level of despair. But unfortunately, he's so creepy and so unlikable anyway that you're glad that he didn't play any part, gets no credit for it. Yeah, and and here's the other thing, is that, like, my biggest problem with this movie is the characters. Um, Weirdly enough, my favorite character in the movie is the Carnival Barker father. Absolutely. He gives an amazing performance. There's a scene where he's sitting down by this, like, candlelight and, like, giving this beautiful monologue about like what his son means to him and how hard it, it's been to raise him but like you know the, that's what he he was gonna do and it shows both his internal mental illness but also his like his few finger finger holds on his humanity it kind of gives you sympathy for him and his freak son but the movie <laughs> then proceeds to eat, dump even more of a lack of sympathy for the freak on you and you're like it's kind of tough because like the movie like has a scene like that where it's like trying to instill like a sort of humanity and then it's also like but yeah sometimes there's just murderous freaks and you're like well okay yeah so so let's back yeah you're you're 100 right uh, i want to back up a second just kind of set the stage a little bit for where this falls in toby hooper's career so obviously he starts with texas chainsaw massacre his next uh, his next movie is also an independent movie called uh, Eaten Alive, which we've talked about that none of us that have seen it on this podcast are really, really big fans. I despise uh, that and movie. Then, and and then he, you know, not huge fans. And uh, and then he makes uh, The Fun House, which is his first studio movie. And it was made because uh, Friday the 13th were successful and uh, Halloween was successful. They're like, let's just, let's just make a really like a horny teenagers get killed by a murderer. I think that's important. Because when we kind of talk about Tobey Hooper and what he brings to the table, this movie is not is not really copying those other like teen slasher I think movies. This movie is like sad and depressing and like filled with this like sense of despair, and that goes from like the the complete lack of victory and like the empty shot that we're left with at the end. At no point is, like, the killer fun or the killings fun. Uh, it, it really is, like, crushingly depressing, uh, along with, I think, being a pretty good movie. And that is, like, antithetical to probably what the people that were making this wanted. Like, Friday the 13th, 
like a, a lot of these like were like trying to like be scary but also have like a little sense of fun so that teens would go to the theater and run out going oh that was crazy and like a sense of victory for the protagonist at the end and like none of that is present here i don't it's weird how in the 70s all horror movies were kind of depressing i mean the ending of carrie is tragic the yep ending oh of yeah halloween is sad kind of because he's still out there so it meant nothing so that makes uh, Mike Myers is still out there, so that makes the victory seem kind of sad. Yep. Hollow, Salem, yeah. Salem's Lot, another Toby Hooper movie. That's kind of a downer ending, too, if I remember right. Something interesting about this time is that Spielberg was talking to Hooper and about, was kind of hoping that he would do E.T. for him, but he was already committed to finishing Funhouse. Obviously, he got to collaborate him with Poltergeist later, though. And, that, and, that one. and that's when E.T. was going to be Night Skies and have more of a horror element. Okay, yeah, basically invaders, It's basically like if he made Invaders from Mars early. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Toby Hooper, I think, would have no business making uh, a character piece like uh, E.T. where, as funny as that sounds, like E.T. lives and dies on whether or not you, you care about E.T. Oh, spoilers a, for E.T. <laughs> et lives and dies whether or not you care about that character and how he interacts with the humans right and i don't think i think that that points to a flaw that toby Hooper has he has a hard time instilling sympathy in characters i i don't have a lot of sympathy for most of his characters and it doesn't particularly matter in texas chainsaw massacre 2 because it's a farce and it doesn't particularly matter in life force because life force is this like wild fucking ride like i wish he at least in life force let the let us care about the main character, the boring white dude. But other than that, like he, he's not that great at handling sympathy for characters, making us care about them. Yeah, but that's it, never really what he cared about. Like he, I think Funhouse is such a perfect perfect distillation of what Toby uh, Hooper's interested in, which is like showing the Funhouse. He, you know, that little like glimpse of the ride that we get as as people go through it. Like that's what he's interested in, and this movie really exemplifies that. Not just uh, in like concept and name, but also you know we spend the first thirty five minutes of the movie going through the carnival and like seeing the world that they're in seeing the world that our killers are our ultimate killers from and the people that are you know uh interacting with with the killer and everything else so like that's what he you can tell that's what he's interested in. we're not we're not supposed to necessarily care about the characters and like their reaction to the funhouse he just wants to show you the funhouse and that was very much the case with uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Life Force and like you know that's where kind of some of his cocaine energy that we talk about comes from is he just wants to show you a bunch of different stuff and you're right that that makes the character suffer but I think in some ways it can really be successful in in uh giving the his movies a very alienating sense because you don't really have anyone to grasp onto because it's the, the scenery and, and all the other stuff that he is focusing on. And as such, you don't have that strong protagonist to really identify with. I would say that's also the case with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, our main protagonist in that is just, like, the last person who survives. But I think what really makes it scary is that unlike, say, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween or... Uh, or, you know, the protagonist of uh, Neymar on Elm Street, Nancy, you identify with them and you want them to be safe uh, because you get to know them as a character. And that's not the case with Toby Hooper movie. I completely agree. 
the the idea that he's not very interested in in the humanity of characters is interested in showing you these like strange spectacles this these uh curios these oddities and that like that tends to hold back as and i i'd say that that tends to hold back as movies but when it works i think it works really well which is why texas feels still like one of a kind and I think it works here, too. I, not as well as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but, like, it felt like the horrors of the carnival were, like, omnipresent and overbearing before the horror part actually happened. I feel that he does do better in, with environment and creating an atmosphere of, to use a bad term, otherness to it, that you feel that things aren't right and... Things out of place before the actual brutality starts. I agree his characters don't make me feel too much, but that's that seems to often be a problem for me in the different horror movies I've watched. There's a few exceptions out there. Just out of curious, what are those exceptions? Uh, the first one that came to mind was Psycho, the mm-hmm. Janet Lee's character. Which we were focusing on Marion Crane. Marion Crane as can remember her characters. Focusing on her throughout the first third or so of the movie. And then she doesn't fascinate me, but I am certainly interested in her story and what's going to happen next. I was going to say, I think there is one character who a lot of people come away from Texas Chainsaw Massacre feeling for, and it's Leatherface, the freakish, the deformed one, the one who does most of the killing, the one who's waving around a chainsaw. The one that has leather on his face. The, the one who... <laughs> the one that's the iconic movie I, villain, Leatherface. I was saying that as, uh, <laughs> it, as if to illustrate the irony that oh, okay. he is this character who <laughs> you do see emotional... You do see these moments where he's vulnerable, where he looks scared and... Yes. Maybe this isn't the... He's, like, sitting down. He's, like... He's kind of trembling in this room after he's killed some people. And that, to me, is, like, trying to give humanity to a monstrous figure, which he sort of also does in Funhouse. Yes. Because, after all, the son who's killing these people, he's basically a way inferior version of Leatherface. And part of the problem is he takes his mask off and it reveals that it's that his face just isn't quite human enough for you to read humanity into him properly. He looks he looks a little too much like an alien. So he he looks like the predator. (laughs) Yeah. Well, do you you get what I mean? That does not look like a deformity a human being could have, as it were. I'm uh, I'm sorry. It just doesn't look realistic. Well, because it because it's three faces. Because it's three faces fused together. I mean, that's why. And and Leatherface and and the the freak from this. Does this freak have a name like a Bat Boy or something? I think they're just like called the monster, but they are given names in the novelization by Dean Koontz. Ah, uh, which Dean Koontz it, wrote the novelization. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, we can talk about this later, but okay, it's amazing how it's simultaneously so much better and so much worse. Yeah, he is. Ju- he is just called the monster. Yeah, he's called the monster. The monster, he's definitely doing with the leather face what he did with this monster, or the monster, excuse me. Uh, he's definitely doing the same thing, which is he's trying to give it the sort of uh, childlike or mentally challenged sort of uh, capability where you feel a, a pitiful sorrow for it, for being embarrassed, for not understanding people, all that. But I think that he was more successful with Leatherface in a lot of ways. And I think that um, kind of. Yeah, I back think to, that's true. And I think that jumping back to Aaron, what Aaron said, loving the he loves the fun house, he loves the spectacle. I think that like 
the beginning of this movie, the first 30 minutes works really well as a, just going through the funhouse rides, you get, uh, um, Bill Finley. Bill Finley. Bill Finley. Bill Finley. Bill Finley. Yeah. Yes. Bill Finley is in the first 30 minutes. He puts on this amazing magic show where he like uh, stakes his own daughter and then that you see it's just an act. Like that's sort of a cool it, it, proof of concept for what the movie could have been. But now what the movie is. It's like it, what's great about that magic act is he seems amused by how shitty his own act is. Yes, yes, I love it. I love it because he's just sort of like he's sort of like I do this show every night. I got my three tricks and we're going through them. Like I love <laughs> Bill Finley is such a charming performer in this and in Phantom of the Paradise, and I wish he had more opportunities. The, Toby Hooper gives him nothing to do in Eaten Alive. It's so sad. That opening segment is great because we're basically just, if, especially if you take out the little brother who keeps interjecting for no fucking reason, we're just riding along the train of this fun house from, you know, stop to stop. We see a nudie show. We see a magic act. We see a strongman, uh, you know, whatever game being performed. We see all this fun stuff. We see. Let, let's talk. Yeah. Pot. Let's talk about the animal freak show. Yeah. We see. We, but yeah, we God, see all that. And my, and so my, my okay. point on that is that we see all that. But then when we get to the last 30 minutes and it's just the monster chasing la- our final girl and her, her, her boyfriend it's really not compelling on any human level because I'm not either pulled by the monster and I'm not really pulled by the the final girl. So that kind of bugs me. So let's yeah, let's let's talk about the first let's talk about that freak show act. The 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 animal freak show act because that's that's basically like Toby Hooper kind of like hinting at what's going to come. It's it's big foreshadowing because like he shows the cow with two faces and obviously our 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 monster has the same thing he's got two faces he is he is the human version of the freak show and they have a fetus that's like lit really cool and they're like look human beings that's like what ends it you know yeah human beings can be freaks too but it's off to the side it's like it doesn't it's not like in a display area it's like off well it's, of it's lit pretty cool thing. although it is kind of like hey Look at that thing. Hey, Dustin, uh, the carnival barker, Kevin Conway, Conway was trying to show respect for probably his dead child. <laughs> I don't know. I guess Although he later he later complains about the fact that happened to his child. Uh, yeah. If you travel with a carnival, you will have a bat boy. Although maybe it makes sense because uh, Kevin Conway does play three different characters in this movie, so maybe one of the characters was fine with it, but uh, maybe two <laughs> of the characters were fine with it, and one objected. <laughs> the relationship between the rest of the carnival and the Barker and Monster is kind of confusing to me, that what they allow and how complicit... They are in the yeah okay. So I want to get into that big time, but I don't want to. I don't want to stop on the freak show just for a second okay. because I was I was amazed. Like I'm very glad it was an animal freak show because I I almost even though it is just like a cow and some other shit. Like I still kind of feel like guilty saying this, but like it really did like creep me out to look at those animals. Everyone like, it but was, the cow. That, Everyone but the cow that, with the cleft palate. I thought the cloud the cow with the cleft palate was kind of adorable, which might be did, problematic in its own way. I disagree. The way it's, the way it's licking its lips like yeah. that looks like it's in agony. No, I, I I didn't see that. I just saw it as like 
I just saw it as like a cow. He's just licking his own fucking face. Like cows are cows are awkward looking. And cows. I mean, he was licking, but he was licking the hole in his face, which I guess is what bothered me. Yeah, cows are such an awkward animal, so it didn't really bother me already because cows are already sort of this like pitiful thing where I just like want to hug them because they're just like this sort of like big dumb mess of parts and they're so slow moving and like I don't know. And then I think they definitely want you to be freaked out by. The other cow, the two-headed cow, because they're doing a shot that's a flat shot of just one head. And you're like, what's wrong with this guy? And then he turns and there's two uh, two heads, like a fallout cow. That's supposed to freak you. I think all the cows are supposed to freak you. I think all the animals are supposed to freak you out, basically. It, it's unnerving. So this movie, this this scene reminds me a lot of my favorite, one of my favorite movies of the classic year of horror, which is Freaks. Um, the Todd Browning movie and Todd Browning's Freaks, I think, is an amazing depiction of uh, the two sides of the freak show. It shows the salacious side where it's the exploit, the exploitative side that's like giving, you know, audiences what they want. They're going in and paying money called paying money to see a movie called Freaks. They want to see some freaks. They're seeing real life circus freaks. And I use the term circus freaks because even though it's kind of problematic in a modern sense, because it's sort of like a term that they adopted. They sort of they sort of saw themselves as like their their economic well-being depended on them being outsiders that can make money off of their specialties and there were these guys who made like could do special trick acts from their their limitations. And um Freaks is a great movie. I'm really glad that even 60 years later Toby Hooper didn't try and do what freaks did i think he would have i think he would have whiffed if he had actual like more than one circus freaking here well yeah and in a way this was really um this could this movie could be called todd counting's freaks (laughs) okay very true i could very true yeah because they're cows Mm -hmm. and that kind of rhymes with brown yeah that's very true so um do you guys know the definition of whiffing (laughs) <laughs> a joke exploiting a we different do, we, possible we, we meaning do, of a word we have standards for it <laughs> but yeah yeah do you guys know what i'm saying like i'm kind of glad that he mostly mostly stuck to oh i'm very glad yeah he would have gotten maudlin and they probably would have felt like uh, token characters if he tried to throw some more sympathetic deformed people in there because he wouldn't have he wouldn't have handled the sympathy well like freaks is like basically one of the big strengths of the movie freaks is that he's like these are people like any other people they're they're petty they're jealous they fall in love they're sweet like i'm not trying to pitch a movie here or anything but if hold on let me get my pen (laughs) members of the group the group of freaks were trying to resist the monster character or somehow if that would Oh, be make it. Oh, it if, interesting that, or if that would just if he's keep, horny and he goes no. and he kills all of the freaks one after the other because none of them are having sex with him. No, no more <laughs> that he doesn't want the other freaks don't want the monster to be killing people, so they're trying to resist him or stop him somehow. Oh, that's okay. Resist has different impressions. Tried to thwart. Okay, fight. What? Yeah, I, I think that there's there's ways to there would be ways to flip this movie to build sympathy for the freak, the monster. However, 
the movie is not like the movie is not that which is like kind of a sadness no. like that they don't spend that much time they're mostly like the movie's mostly like isn't it gross that this monster gets horny and you're like yeah i guess but like not... also i makes like if you guys did like a little bit more work i could have felt really bad for this monster and been kind of conflicted or if you put more work into like or if you just don't gone full exploitation and been like, this is the weirdest fucking monster. It's part human, part monster. Like it, it's like you just went full on exploitation and didn't put any humanity in it. But you give us something to care about in the kids, the horny kids. Then maybe I would have, I would have been like, okay, I could get behind this as either a trashy monster kills kids movies like Castle Freak. And I think this movie needed the fun house. It nails the fun house aspect, but it doesn't nail the terror of the, the, the terror of the monster. Do you guys think that the, like, I, th- there's not that many interesting kills in this either. Like, I feel like if the monster is oh, one, the sword there thing. One, yeah. That's that one's like, um, it's amazing how soft the guy's body is. <laughs> <laughs> A butter boy. If you will. Also the, all right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna describe this kill in full if that's cool. They uh, one of the friends is let lynched and taken away from the other three. Later, those other three kids see a cart coming towards them. One of the kids got his hands on an axe, <laughs> a real axe that they have in a funhouse show for some reason. Buries a head, yeah, an axe in the head of the person who's riding in the cart towards them, and it turns out to be their friend's body. Did they think that, like, he was riding the cart towards them into battle? (laughs) (laughs) Funhouse version of a cavalry charge? Why did they assume the person... Why did they assume it was uh, an enemy that was riding in the cart? (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) Did you hear that? Adam said he was hoping to LARP space mutiny. (laughs) (laughs) And and that, that moment is, or could be, I think... If fucking Toby Hooper had a better sense of space and geography, this funhouse has no geography. It's just like no, y- you see objects from all new different angles, but like he's they're not even lit in the same way every time. So like it's it's disorienting in a bad way. Like I feel like the key to making a movie like that's so disorienting is like a you do a Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing where. You do a lot of static shots that, like, give us a sense of geography and then, like, have all this action occur in the shot. The scariest shot in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is Leatherface running through the through a doorway and grabbing somebody and murdering them right there in one static shot. Either you do that or you actually, like, take time and do what the Conjuring movies are really, really amazing at. The Conjuring movies for, you know, Aaron doesn't like them. I don't know if you guys like them. I imagine. I hate them. Maybe I'm the only one yeah, who loves I, them. I think they're I bad. hate them too, Dustin. We did it. I think I think, I think they're masterpieces, but uh, even if you don't like them. Oh, shit. I, even, if, even if you don't like them, I feel like you could at least agree with me that they establish basic geography really, really well. Like, competent, basic, okay. like, what the house looks like, where the space is. You hear a noise upstairs, you can picture in your head where in the house it's coming from. That's the problem with this fun house. I don't know. I know that that's like a house of mirrors thing. And fun house could have some disorienting scenes, but it's its only trick is being disorienting for the entire run once they get inside the house. And that's, I, I don't know, man. That's what really Yeah, I liked me. it. Uh, 
I, I agree with you, Peter, in general, that uh, Toby Hooper does not have a great sense of uh, geography. But um, and I, I agree with you that it is disorienting. And, you know, you sit there and, and wonder where's all where is all this space that they keep moving through? It doesn't distract me. And I think it works. What's odd about it is they're supposed to be trapped inside a space. So you'd think they'd be trying to, like, play up the claustrophobia and how, like, all these very spacious <laughs> on top of them. But, yeah, like you said, it's very spacious. And since it is escape, I can agree with Peter. It's especially important that we get a sense of the geography because even more so than your standard horror movie like this, there's I mean, an urgency here with the characters. And... We don't really understand. I kind of wish this movie had become kind of green room instead of becoming what it is. But but in fairness, Adam, you just want to see Nazis in all your movies. <laughs> Adam, <laughs> that's, true, that but... is perfect. Green Room and Assault on Precinct 13, I think, are like two movies that like really establish space amazingly well. And like... You trying to, like, get out of your space and, like, navigate that space. And they even get weapons, like, kind of like in Green Room. Like, they get weapons kind of early. They get an axe and a, and a knife, and then they get picked off, like, even though they've been given some adequate protection. And I don't know if it directly is attributable to geography, but something I also kind of didn't like about this movie is the way it kind of doesn't keep track of objects. Um, really minor one is the the bear that she's given, but a more important one is the pocket knife that they use to cut into the tent. I think that just never it, comes it, up again. I mean, it's just so cluttered in the like fun house, of, Adam. You can't keep track of it everything. It feels like they've got a lot of Chekhov's guns that they're trying to establish <laughs> and then they just forget them. Yeah, Chekhov's switchblade, Chekhov's... You know, Chekhov's axe comes back. Chekhov's axe is, is really well delivered on, but you're right. There's a lot of weapons who are just like, they just hand them to somebody and then it just does nothing or it disappears. The, the axe scene is really great. Or it, It's a horror technique. I don't know if I want to mention the movie it reminds me of, but there's a mid-2000s really amazing, scary movie about people that you don't know that well. First kid? <laughs> uh, something else. But yeah, there's a, there's a similar scene involving somebody being tricked by the slasher into maybe not killing a friendly does he kill the guy on the cart he might already be dead he's already dead i, I guess he'd be taking... making noise if he were alive yeah like uh, he was also hung for a bit i don't know but he uh, that sort of thing where you're using the bodies of your enemies to disorient them is like an interesting thing because it's almost like a reverse of like a, a typical scenario, like in an action movie, where like uh, a diehard scenario, <laughs> like like this is like this freak is John McClane. He's riding on the body. Ho ho ho! I have a machine gun. Like, <laughs> so I I'm clearly a little bit the odd man out here, and I guess so. Here was my takeaway. So I have been to these type of like traveling carnivals and I've been to the fun house and it basically has like the same size front that you see in the, these fun houses that come to town. And if you've ever been in one, you know, their width is about 15 feet, maybe 25 top. So at some point when they were inside and there was this much stuff going on, it was like a thing I had to turn off in my brain, you know, basic suspension of disbelief. Like, I am just going to take this movie at the fact that this carnival ride, this space exists in this this area. It didn't bother me. And if anything, again, I, I really thought 
it was like successfully disorienting. I mean, I'm a, I agree with you, all of you guys. There's a ton of like when they're in their apartment, it's covered with like random objects that don't need to be there. They keep having new things they find throughout the course. There's like new shit you didn't see when you got the full uh, roller coaster tour of the carnival. Like all of a sudden there's these clown things that I don't remember seeing the first time through and all this kind of stuff. And I just I think it works to presenting this this idea of this space is like this never realm of like a fun house where they're just there's. People can't get out, even though in a real one of these, they'd have to walk three feet and jump or kick down the cardboard door <laughs> or whatever it is. Like, like you, you just have to ex- accept it. And and I get it. You know, I I know I know you guys well enough to know that you guys aren't saying, well, I just you know you're not doing that nitpicking internet thing that we don't like. I get that it just it didn't connect to you because Hooper was not doing all of his due diligence and like establishing spatial continuity. But for me, my mind went out the door so quickly on that stuff that I just kind of was able to soak up the feeling of like really being trapped in this like like a real nightmare like a real nightmare would be to be stuck in these creepy carnival fun houses and i think i think it pulls it off pretty well like i'm pretty positive on this movie overall and i think that that was that was an area that really worked for me so i think apart from the sympathy issue that i have like i don't have a ton of sympathy for either the monster or the the you know the um the teens the horny teens they're so horny. So horny. Why? Not really. You know, teens, stop being so horny all the time. Maybe you won't get murdered. Okay. Yeah. Think about get that. Get married. Think about that. Get married. You'll be less. You'll immediately be less horny. Um. <laughs> <laughs> see, here's the thing. Also, people expect you to just accept these slasher horror tropes, but like, let's dig down into it. Most of the the heroines of the first three ish Friday the Thirteenth movies are pretty capable they just fuck up like the lead heroines they just fuck up basically hellraiser nightmare on elm street like a lot of these big movies the heroines are very competent most of all is halloween yeah she kills him like three times before he almost kills she fucking kills him with a coat hanger like, she, well, not kills him, but she stabs him in the eye with a coat hanger. Like, that's some fucking prison shit right there. Yeah. Like, like the people are, yeah. people are like, well, oh, I mean, she, she babysat children, so that's the same as prison. <laughs> Don't fuck with a babysitter. Oh, scream queens. They just run away. They trip on branches. Like, no, usually the heroine, the women who are actually like leading the movie and are going to, you know, serve to be the final girl, whatever, usually they're somewhat competent in this. She's just this like, She's just like fucking a stick of butter. She just like melts the moment that there's any conflict. And then the finale of the movie is essentially mostly she just gets lucky. Yeah, but I mean, the movie's not about her. Like the movie this, is it this movie about her getting rescued? Like why would I care about this no, movie unless she, I? But she but no, she, she, she doesn't get but rescued. she doesn't she but she doesn't get rescued. This is Tobey Hooper's like uh, you know we mentioned that we thought it was a killer clown movie. It's not. It's uh it's Tobey Hooper's Frankenstein. That's that's what it is. The main character is our monster, and you could say well he's not as developed as Frankenstein, but like the important characterization you already touched on, which I actually think does really circumvent horror tropes. So. What happens in this movie, in these types of movies? A freak is killing people at a carnival. Some outsiders come in. Other other people that work at the carnival find out about it or, you know, tack this on to any similar premise. And what happens? Now everyone's trying to kill these kids. What happens here is 
extremely unique and very much in keeping with line with this idea of like, you know, that he's the dad is Dr. Frankenstein and this is Frankenstein's monster that he is like, hey, I don't have it in me to kill these kids, but I understand that if they get out and tell people what's going on here, I'm ruined. Like everything I've tried to protect my entire life is ruined and I need you to do something that I've asked you not to do. Or at least implied, like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not really a fan of this, but I get you have your urges, and that's to go kill these kids. Every other movie I've ever seen like this, the dad is also trying to kill those kids, and the fact that he has like this sit down talk about what he's had to do to protect him, and then says, like, I can't do this. It's not that I don't want blood on my hands; is that I am not capable of committing the murder that I know, unfortunately, because of the way that you were created, are. And I think that's really unique in both these movies. And I think that really is kind of the the thesis of what Hooper's trying to do from a from a main character. It really is his his like take on Frankenstein. I was just going to say she actually does kind of eventually I, I'm sorry to not build on your point about the Barker and the son, but eventually she just like picks up a piece of metal and apparently gets sick of all of this cat and mouse shit and just beats the, <laughs> the son about the head <laughs> like i guess she's a cornered mouse that's finally l- had enough and is lashing back but jumping back to aaron's point it's kind of unfortunate then that the movie kind of tramples on that by having him hold up the two characters and then kind of in his last move kill the the jock guy well, I, I but I still think that works as like isn't willing to kill, and I I do agree that that's not as that was a little bit like unnecessary. But I get that, but he he doesn't take like a joy. It's not like well, got some killing to do. Like there is a reticence there that you that you rarely see in these movies. I mean, what I thought was going to happen in this movie is all of our cast of carnival characters that we meet were all going to get alerted. Um, that, you know, there's there's people that found out the carnival's secret and try to, like, basically lay siege on these kids. And that's not what happens. And, in fact, it's the exact uh, exact opposite. Okay, fair yeah. point. Yeah, it really is like that. It's like Green Room if the Nazis also had to keep it secret from everybody else in the rest of the bar the whole movie that they're trying to kill these kids in this room. Or Patrick Stewart was like, look... I can't I can't be a part of this. I can't actually like he does that for like legal protection, but he doesn't sit down and say, I know what has to be done, but I am not like capable of 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 taking the leap that you've been capable of making. If only because you don't know what you're doing or. Well, well, it's kind of implied, though, that he has these urges that, you know, the dad doesn't understand. Like like and he says, like, look, I've I've turned my other cheek when, you know, I've I've turned my head. When you're, you know, killing these these locals, but I've always told you you can't like kill the people around here. So it is that like he's not like I don't care about this. It's I don't understand you, but you're still my son, which is like exactly Frankenstein. It's it's I've created a monster that I don't know what to do with. I think Conway himself probably deserves a lot of the credit for this. Yeah. He did a lot of Ed Libyans, I understand. He's and, so like, good in this movie. He is he's the MVP of this movie, for sure. Yeah, dude. It's uh he's he's pretty terrific. I already mentioned his little monologue, but 
Um, he also serves as three different carnival barkers. He's he's doing the girls, the girls, girls, girls tent. He does uh, the slow talking funhouse barker. Where he goes like, "Can you face the terrors inside?" Like it's so good. He's so good as the barkers because he's basically doing like a Peter Sellers thing where he's playing three different characters. And then he also is the the freak show barker, right? He's like, yeah, come on all in and come on, come on in. And, you know, more classic barker. Like he's he can do all of them. I, I Kevin Conway is 100 percent the MVP of this movie. I think we can sort of move towards the end of this. I think the biggest problem with the movie is like competence of uh, of Amy because Amy is kind of useless and frustrating. And it sort of goes to my belief that like failed competence is more scary than failed incompetence. And I, I feel like she's just so and by the end, she's just this like shrieking pile. And I know that going back to what we were just saying Toby Hooper wants that cocaine wild energy and so he was like in his head he was like the end of the movie needs to be just like Amy just shrieking and you're like but wouldn't it be better if anything else happened I guess I just I think that works though because like when she steps out into the sunlight it's not even a hollow victory it feels like it just feels like it's so sad and it doesn't give you what these movies normally give you in any way like she just went through a trauma that she's a high school girl like she was i i don't know i think that final shot of her just walking out and people looking at her the credits starting to roll it just felt so sad like it 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 was like this really dark moment that even I don't think is it's just like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is ending is has a little more triumph in it even like you know she she escapes and then he's like impotently like swinging his chainsaw away but she's gone and here like she's not gone she's there everyone else is gone and now she's just like in the middle of this nightmare and has to go face her own like I don't know there's something really disturbing about it that that I think is very affecting. Yeah, the whole movie is kind of about, I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's about sort of the surface veneer that you peel away and just find it's all grimy and unpleasant. And then you see Leatherface and the rest of his family and you realize, oh, it's also kind of petty and stupid and that somehow makes it worse. This movie is about, like, it starts off with this opening that's a combination of Psycho and Halloween. And then eventually you come across a situation that's so uh, that nobody wants to get into that where the villains are these sad people in a sense like the barker seems like this rundown guy and uh the his son is kind of a uh, for want of a better word childlike figure even even though he's uh killing people because for seemingly sexual reasons so this is more about how sad everything is behind those yeah. horror tropes and horror trappings. How there's something depressing about everybody, about the people that are close to you dying off instead of thrilling or anything like that. That That's a feeling I get from it, and that's what I think the ending is going for, and why you have scenes where the, vil, where the villain characters are getting dimension and uh, showing emotion. Can I appreciate the way... It ends. Understand that she might indeed be kind of suffering some type of PTSD, as well as 
I'm kind of a sucker for crane shots, particularly when I want to be identifying with the character in that. And while Amy isn't super compelling, the way we kind of pull out and just see the sad remnants while she walks away, it wasn't the most resonant scene in the movie, but I, I kind of appreciated it as a conclusion. I want to circle back to something that Adam had mentioned earlier that we didn't really get a chance. I said we'd get back to and we didn't really because I think it kind of fits into this because I do want to know like like as much as I did like that father-son relationship and the Frankenstein monster, like here's what's a really bad idea to not get caught for murder or being an accomplice to murder is to let your uh, son who is putting this as nice as po- possible has extremely <laughs> limited uh, mental faculties orchestrate murders from town to town and try to cover them up. Well, it's apparently extremely easy to frame locals for murders in this world. Well, this he, universe. He, he thinks of the idea, but I think that's more just in this case to protect the rest of the Carney community from like gaining their torches and pitchforks. I think it's more the reason he wants it to be locals is because he's not hanging around with people who knew the dead. Yeah, but I, what, what I'm saying from a macro level is like town to town. How many towns do you think they get through before they notice that uh, kids keep dying at the carnival? <laughs> and that and that this guy, the monster, is assumingly covering up their deaths, <laughs> like burying them or something. So I'm But just very sloppy. I mean, he's getting caught. I mean, yeah, everyone knows that kids disappear at the carnival. So I'm just wondering, like, I get that the dad is like, look, I don't understand. You're murdering people. Not for me to judge. Just don't murder people in the carnival. Great. But shouldn't he also, like, go and say, hey, no offense. Everyone has their skills. Could you dig those graves just a little deeper so that they don't <laughs> like like he's kind of letting him uh, not just not just perpetrate him, but uh, assumingly orchestrate the cover up surrounding him because the dad's like, don't even tell me about those murders. How long you think that goes on uh, before that carnival stopped forever? Like, I don't know. It's just if you, if you know someone with a grade school intelligence is uh, murdering from town to town. You either got to stop it or you probably got to step in and like arrange the cover up on some level. Am I, and I'm afraid of the big power of big Carney to influence our life. So yeah, big Carney so is, wanted... is really just like a, an iron fist coming down, a sweaty, sweaty iron fist coming down in our lives. You're very right. Do you think that Big Carney's donating to a lot of police unions so they look the other way? <laughs> well, well, now it's known as the Heritage Foundation. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I guess we can go into final thoughts. Um, I clearly was a little more positive on this movie than uh feels like the rest of you, uh, which is fine. We say on this podcast, have your own beliefs. I don't think yeah, we've ever said we that. We also but... say, you know, live in La Vida Loca. Yeah. Just now, we've said it. We say shake your bonbon. Uh, we say Mavo number uh, five. That not not a Ricky Martin song. The first two were. We say who let the dogs out. We say how bizarre, how bizarre. You know, might as well be walking on the sun. Might as well. Might as <laughs> well. How we are not saving this. We're just making it worse. Uh, <laughs> valiant efforts all around. I'll give us a C minus on that, Pete. Oh, I'm going to C minus you after class. When you've already dug a hole, there's no point in trying to dig <laughs> Yeah, you just dig till you get to the other just, side. Just, 
detonate yourself on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I really liked it. Like, it's not – I wouldn't put it in the top three hooper, but I would definitely put it in the top five. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it's – it's uh, it's really, really good. I, you know, I thought it was dark and weird and kind of gave Hooper a chance to show the stuff that he's interested in in a very, like, literal way. Like, he kind of like showing the, the freak show and he literally gets to show a freak show in this movie. So, yeah, I'm glad we watched it. Happy that my blind buy worked out. Uh, but but I would I would absolutely recommend it. Just just uh, not even as a Hooper fan, just as a fan of like unexpectedly poignant and dark 80s horror movies. Yeah. So I'm a little bit less positive than Aaron, but I more see it as a, a light whiff than a, a full on catastrophe. Um, because I love the first 30 minutes so much. I think Toby Hooper has a lot of love for these sort of like um, wild spectacles from scene to scene to scene to scene. And the problem is, I think that he has this, like, he, he doesn't seem to particularly care about establishing characters or even throwing in, like, cheap characterization. Like, I even don't mind when some of these horror movies have, like, scenes where it's just, like, a girl playing checkers with, like, some person, and you're like, oh, they just quickly established that she cares about the poor. Like, something to give me... <laughs> care about this all they established in the first like 30 minutes of this about her is that she's like prudish she hates her little brother and she's like a little flexible on smoking pot like they don't really establish much about her and and, and as soon as she has to become an actual character the movie really suffers for me and i don't think this monster is scary enough or fulfilling enough or oppressive enough to really Give me the other side of it, the exploitative side where, you know, the, the thing that people talk about where you're like, I don't care about the, the horny kids. I just care about the spooky monster. The spooky monster doesn't really work past the mask for me. Still pretty disappointed in this. I'm going to have to move on to Invaders from Mars if, on my uh, my quest to find better Toby Hooper work. But this is this is kind of instilling my my belief that he's just not good at establishing like basic technical filmmaking. Uh, to give you an impression what Invaders from Mars is like, imagine Texas Chainsaw Massacre with a little less gore, aliens, and camp instead of overt comedy. That sounds kind of so nice. That, that's kind of the tone and the texture that the movie has. That sounds kind of nice. Like it sounds more like a Life Force thing. Yeah. But like a Life Force with killer clowns from outer space thrown in, I guess. Well, well a funnier Life Force, or trying to be funnier yes. Life Force. Peter, that's a different movie. It's called Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry about that. I think my opinion of it's kind of improved. On my, my first viewing, I kind of didn't like it much at all. On the second viewing, there were some things that I appreciated. Themes were a little clearer through some of the dialogue and that. And this discussion's helped elevate it a little bit, too, in my mind. So it's still a disappointing movie to me. It doesn't still, even after discussions, that doesn't have the connections that would make it more effective as a movie. And it's so many different missed opportunities throughout with, in terms of, in some occasions, building suspense with the characterization, with kind of a coherent setting in that that if i was giving a recommendation i don't think i'd give it to out oh, to too many people still okay uh my feeling is decent movie that's flawed 
Uh, may I please talk about the novelization? Yes. Uh, quickly? Oh, yes. Okay. Here's what really amazes me about Dean Koontz's novelization. In that version, the setup is that the Barker used to be the husband of Amy's mom, if you remember her at all. I wouldn't be surprised if you don't. Yeah, I, I remember a mom and a dad giving a bunch of plot points away at the beginning. <laughs> yep, that's about... No, here in the book, she's her ex-husband somehow, and she has a son that's uh, apparently separate from any of the characters in the movie that she kills because she's religious. And then they uh, break, uh, then they divorce shortly after that. So his, mo and it's said in the book that his motivation, the reason he has this son who's uh, acting as sort of a permitted killer freak and why he works at this freak show, uh, why he works at this carnival is he's hoping to get revenge because maybe his wife's child will someday come to the carnival and he'll be able to murder that child as an act of revenge. Oh, God. Yeah, it's the most convoluted, <laughs> ridiculous way of trying to get revenge on somebody. Am I making sense at all? I mean, no, but I think that's Dean Koontz's fault. Yeah. <laughs> Good. That, that's, that's my intention. Also, as far as Amy goes, um, there's supposed to be sort of a subtextual theme to this book that it's about Amy's bisexuality. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense that he would have to add a bunch of bullshit because, like, the thing that we all kind of equally praised was, like, Toby Hooper, like, slowly, like, showing you all these, like, scenes of what's going on at the carnival and stuff like that. And I somehow doubt that Dean Koontz's writing is up to par with, like, visually soaking all that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I feel like novelizations is kind of a tough game to do something respectable. And so he was like, he's like, uh, uh, there's not a whole lot of there there. So he was like, well, I need to, I need to meet this out. And then eventually you're, you're like, well... You kind of made it grosser in its own way. <laughs> That's what the Koontz does. Yeah. I've never read a Dean Koontz novel. I mean, does he... No, I just, I just like making fun of him. Yeah. I... I mean, I've never read a novel. Thanks so much, uh, Dustin and Adam, for your fifth appearance. Thank you for sharing uh, the Dean Koontzification of Tobey Hooperfications of a killer clown, not really-ish Frankenstein movie. I think that's a good, I think, yeah, take that IMDb summary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you guys so much. Uh, what do you guys have to promote? We have a book that the two of us have written called Forest. It's a fantasy action book starring uh, fairies that turn into monsters and two, and, uh, two kids that have to save everybody, even though they're monsters as well. We'll include a link in the comments. Don't miss it. It's... Uh, emotionally compelling, but also hilarious, I'm told. Yeah, def well, uh, it's available on Amazon. We'll definitely include a link. Um, kind of reminds me, I should really pick up that fucking book uh, because <laughs> I always enjoy your guys' writing, and I'm a monster Thanks. for not having bought it yet. So um, I'm going to go to uh, what the kids call the internet and uh, and pick it up myself. If it's a fucking book, you don't have to. No, I really, I really do enjoy your guys' writing. I should absolutely pick it up. And then at the very least, it, you know, it can sit on my shelf and I can feel like, oh, one of these days. No, I'll, I'll definitely. I'd let it sit. I'd let it sit on your Kindle.
Yeah, I I absolutely love everything that I've read by you guys. So this is actually going to be a pleasure when I get around to uh, to reading for us. So yeah, thank you for for reminding me to plug that because yeah, it's a specific plug to us because they know <laughs> based on de- like they they just like we're able to look at a lot of SoundCloud specifics. Like they, <laughs> they're able to go. I know those two didn't read this book. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so next week, um, so it's not, we're going to take a quick one week break from Kill Billy's volume two, and we're going to release a pilot episode, uh, called Pod's Not Dead, uh, that we worked on with, uh, Rick Kelly and Liz Lundberg, frequent guests of this podcast. We cover the 2000 Kirk Cameron movie, uh, Left Behind, uh, and, uh, before we're, we're gonna release it at some point in its own feed but that's probably still a couple months away so in the meantime we needed a break the hot summer months are getting to us so we hope you guys enjoy it's you know it's similar it's similar kind of you know tone to this one a little bit but we kind of cover things uh differently from a different standpoint it is not just an episode of we love to watch (laughs) with a new name and uh focused on a new topic so We are really excited for you guys to hear that, especially because we recorded a couple months ago and I've kind of been sitting on it. So I think I I think we're going to be really I think you guys are going to enjoy that. Uh, And then, Peter, why don't you tell our uh, guests what we're wrapping up the month with? So our next movie is going to be Tucker and Dale versus Evil with Carrie Nelson. And we're very, very excited about that episode. And then we're going to wrap up the month with both Hills of Eyes movies. We're going to be doing a head-to-head match between the original Wes Craven movie and the Alejandre Aja movie. I think it's going to be a pretty fun episode because I've got strong feelings about both of them. By the time those Hills Have Eyes episodes come out, uh, we're going to find out the correct pronunciation of Alexandra Aha. I would love to find out actually how to pronounce his name considering that I've been trying to say it since I've been in seventh grade, so... Thank you so much again for talking about our fourth Tobey Hooper movie. By far, the only the only person who beats him for most entries uh, on our podcast is Carpenter, and we did an entire month about him. So yeah, kind of cheating, yeah, definitely cheating. Fuck you, John Carpenter. How dare you? <laughs> Tobey Hooper is a slow and steady wins the race type of guy, or slow and steady makes direct to deep movie. <laughs> slow and steady, he still loses the race, but people are like. An admirable effort. Adam, Dustin, you guys can be awkward dudes sometimes. Why don't you uh, really awkward us out of this thing? Uh, du- Dustin, do you... It's not just talking slow, Peter. Dustin, do you want to talk... way more to awkwardness than that. Dustin makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, just keep singing that for a little bit. Dustin, I think that'll Dustin, do it, really. Dustin, 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 Dustin. <laughs> What's what's confusing, I think, though, is that like dusting, like getting dust off of things, does make me feel good. So that might be confusing to a lot of our audience. Mm-hmm. Good night. night. <laughs> <laughs>
folks. Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, WLTWpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh yeah reach out to us give us some feedback give us some support uh, suggest movies for the show all that we are also available on soundcloud tune in stitcher and itunes thanks for listening